Workday afternoon replay from Money FM 89.3. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Market View. I'm Clarissa Montero on this brand new week, the 9th of September. I am joined by JP Ong on a day when it looks like across the region, things seem a little bit happier than we started last Monday. It's happier, a little bit more subdued, but happier nonetheless. That is correct if we're judging it by intraday moves. We start off with markets here in Singapore up by about 0.1%. That means the STI has tacked on an extra 4.5 points so far. Let's just get a quick um, update of where the STI is the moment. Yep, 4.5 points up. 3,149 is the level where we're staying at. Turnover is a little thin, though, if, if, uh, if I'm being honest. About $325.5 million Singapore dollars so far in value turnover. So this could be one of those less, uh, less robust trading days for, for the markets. But we're up nonetheless. And it's also happening in lockstep with most of the region. Pretty much everybody who's a major in Asia today is, is gaining ground, despite the fact that we've had some relatively uh, lackluster economic data from China, the U.S., and Japan mm-hmm. in the last, in the last uh, 48 hours. We started out with those jobs data in the U.S., which actually came in lower than expected and softer than expected for the month of August or the, the recent week. Um, China over the weekend reporting that their exports surprisingly contracted instead of expanded. Now, most economists were actually expecting them to maintain the, maintain the recovery or the bounce up that they saw in, in the month of July. But nope, exports for August actually fell by 1%. Just, and thus raising concerns that maybe that was just a blip on the radar. And more worrisome for China is that they saw imports starting to fall by about 5.6%. So this also calls the question, well, are investors in, or, or businesses in China importing less partially because of the a, a potential slowdown of the economy, less demand, perhaps they're paring back on, on expenditures in the future? Or is it also because the weaker yuan has made it more expensive for them to buy goods from overseas? So this could all, or it could be a combination of both factors right. even, really. So, so these trade figures, but in spite of that, you're seeing Chinese markets up. Keep in mind that last week on Friday, after markets closed actually, and uh, this actually made a small cameo in my U.S. report, China's uh, PBOC or their central bank decided to say that they are going to lower their bank reserve ratios by about 0.25, by about 0.5%, and they could lower it by an entire percentage point if they need to. And according to estimates, this actually unleashed about 100 billion U.S. dollars into the Chinese economy mm-hmm. through lowering those those rates. In fact, if you look at the uh, at certain stocks, I mean, it's going to benefit banking stocks for the most part. This will allow them to actually lend more down the road um, th- uh, there. And if you look in, at Hong Kong, despite the fact that the Hang Seng is relatively flat today, uh, some of the best performers are Chinese banks. China, a bank of communications up by about 0.75%. You have the likes of a bank of, Ch- of, uh, of ICBC up by about uh, 0.39% in today's session. So uh, there, there, you know, the, the, there is a, a bit of that boost coming again from the mainland that's happening. Over on Japan's side, you, you heard them actually report today that their GDP for the second quarter actually only grew by 1.3%. Now, this is a revision downwards from their previous uh, uh, release. Remember, a lot of these economies, they tend to release a preliminary uh, reading and they release a, an update, a finalized reading. The finalized reading saw that they, their GDP only grew by about 1.3%. But it seems that the positivity right now is coming from expectations that China might be providing a lot of stimulus because of the lowering of these bank reserve ratios. And also because uh, there are expectations leading up to the ECB's meeting on Thursday and the Fed's meeting next week, Thursday, that we might be seeing some stimulus from monetary authorities around the world. So this, I think, is lifting some of the sentiment uh, here across the, the region. But uh, investors 
investors, it, it's, it's fair to say that they're, they're starting out this week again rather cautiously as we did last week because the expectations are there. But will expectations actually become reality is the big question, mm-hmm. right? Okay, that's interesting. And I actually wonder if um, this is going to continue to affect the markets through the rest of the week. Because you said it's it's kind of thin trading, but it's positive trading for now. So is there going to be a pullback midweek maybe? There is, it's possible if we start, if we get another big surprise. And I think the big surprise might be coming from the, from the European Central Bank. Now, mm. there are expectations, these markets are saying that they're still expecting you know, ECB President Mario Draghi to unleash a stimulus package, perhaps provide some easing and perhaps cut the policy rates there by about 20, 20 basis points. Remember, the ECB doesn't have as much room to cut as say the, as, say, the Fed does. Right. But uh, the, in, in recent weeks, we've gotten reports from some members of the ECB, such as the Dutch, uh, the, the central, uh, the governor of the Central Bank of, uh, of Holland or the mm-hmm. Netherlands, saying that he doesn't think that there is a need to actually provide stimulus. So there's a bit of pushback even there. So the case or the question, if the question is, are, is the ECB united in, in, uh, and unanimous in saying that we need stimulus? Well, that's a big, there's still a big question mark over sure. that, right? So I think this is what's keeping, uh, keeping investors just a little bit cagey at the moment because, uh, again, expectations, uh, the, you know, expectations, if you bank on expectations too much, you might actually get disappointed down the road if it doesn't turn out to be that way. You need to find evidence to support these expectations. And while, while the clamor is there from the markets, will the ECB respond to the clamor? Will they respond to the data at the moment? Will they choose to keep the powder dry and listen to what some of their, uh, more, their, uh, some of their key members are saying at the moment? That's a big question mark. And this could also, remember, the ECB last July also decided to keep the powder dry until the Fed cut their, cut their policy rates. Mm-hmm. Could this be... A, uh, a case of deja vu this time around as well because they're coming with, within the space of about seven days of each other, these two decisions, right? Right. Okay. Now, last week on Monday, we had barely 300, less than 300 million value turnover at this point. Mm-hmm. What are we looking at now? Well, as, as I mentioned earlier, it's about 325 million at the so moment. So it's still pretty thin. Still, that's why, yeah. Hence, 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 hence why, why we pointed out also that the value turnover is looking relatively thin. And again, why people are, and investors are being a bit cagey ahead of this, of ahead of these key decisions also. It's happening here. It's happening across most of the region. There's also, it's also probably why the Hang Seng is also looking relatively flat. The only one that's, uh, that's showing any signs of a big pop at the moment is the Shenzhen Bourse. They're up by about 1%. But going back to the Hang Seng, a lot of it also has to do with the fact that uh, it seems any hopes that, uh, that the civil unrest in Hong Kong will be quelled over the weekend, that's been pretty much dashed. Mm-hmm. We, we heard reports of more episodes and more, uh, more instances of, violent, of violence on the streets in Hong Kong over the weekend because of, uh, of this continued uh, press, at least, to, to, for the five demands to be met. So far, it's only been one. They've withdrawn the extradition bill, but the other four demands still need to be met. And this, again, uh, impacting some stocks on the Hang Seng, the MTR for one. Again, poor MTR. They saw another one of their uh, facilities actually. Did they get hammered in, again? N- well, the stock, is, I wouldn't say is hammered at the moment, but they are trading significantly lower. They're, they're, they're seeing losses of about, uh, let me just pull this up. The MTR is down by about 1.5% uh, mm. today. They're not the worst performer. That's still Sinobiopharma and CSPC Pharma. A lot of profit takers starting to hit these two particular stocks. Uh, which are among the best performers in the Hang Seng year to date, and uh, WH Group, which is the world's largest pork producer. Again, there are in, there are more reports in China now that swine flu or swine fever has hit more of their pork stocks there, and this is uh, weighing at least on WH Group at the moment as we look at how the Hang Seng is trading. Well, I, what did make me giggle as far as Hong Kong was concerned was the appeal from the uh, protesters to Donald Trump. 
Yes. Uh, that made me giggle. It, uh, it, it was, it's an, it's an, but you know, and maybe the, it was a nervous laugh. It was. A, I hope it was a nervous <laughs> laugh because, again, uh, if there's one, uh, you know, I, I don't think Beijing t- tends to respond positively to clamors for foreign intervention, particularly that it. foreign intervention. Also, but but the fact that they've already started to congregate around the U.S. embassy. I mean, some uh, media outlets have also pointed out that 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 this is their this is one of their last uh, last. Uh, their last, uh, what they call in American football, a Hail Mary pass at the moment, mm-hmm. hoping that we could see intervention. But it, it is a, it, that is going to be a very contentious point. Is the U.S. willing to risk some of their political capital to do that? I don't think so. I, I, I personally don't think so. But again, we are in the era of Trump. We don't know what could happen. I think this is We're also in the era of presidential tweets. Yes. Speaking well. of presidential tweets. Really, really, you have to explain the Volfefe index. Okay, so remember that one of... <laughs> So there are a couple of uh, gaffes, and and let, let's let's be. I will try to go a little. E- uh, let me try to be a little easy on the American president. I mean, we've all misspelled a tweet. We've all misspelled a post on Facebook, right? But uh, um, he's done it quite a couple of times. Perhaps just the speed of his uh, thumbs move faster moves faster than what than you know what he's trying to process. Um, Confefe, if you remember, a few of uh, just last year, I believe he misspelled the word coffee. And right. it, it, it cost quite the hoopla. Well, it seems J.P. Morgan has tacked onto this and decided, you know what? We're going to create the Volfefe Index. So uh, the uh, question we've posed a lot of analysts, especially rate strategists, is how difficult is it to price in this uncertainty? Mm-hmm. In fact, even uh, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, has mentioned that, that you know, we don't have a playbook for this trade war uncertainty. It's the uncertainty that's killing the markets at the moment. How do we gauge the impact of this volatility on uncertainty coming from Pres- President Trump's Twitter feed? Right. So J.P. Morgan has created the Volfefe Index, which is named, uh, which, uh, which is tracking the effect or tries to at least gauge the impact of the president's tweets in particular on uh, treasury yields. So there are a number of market-moving Trump tweets. They've, they've noticed a balloon in the past month. And they noticed that it's very sensitive whenever he tweets when he issues tweets that have the words China, billion, products, Democrats, and great as most likely to affect prices, according to their a- analysis. Do you, can you, um, uh, would you know, uh, do you know that since the start of 2016, tr- uh, President Trump has averaged about 10 tweets a day? And it only dropped down a little bit after his inauguration, but picked up again in 2018. And since then, uh, there, since his inauguration in 2017, he has tweeted over tw- 10,000 times. That's I don't think I will have that many tweets in my entire lifetime. Exactly. But then you, that, and when you're going to do this analysis, you're definitely going to need some, uh, a machine and an algorithm to pour through all of Clearly. these tweets at the moment. And J.P. Morgan has done the heavy lifting to do that. And this is what they've also noted, n- noted as uh, when he tweets also, there tends to be a bit of an impact also on these prices dynamics on the price dynamics and how markets actually react so Mm -hmm. if and no doubt more banks and more investors are starting to look are trying to quantify just how how this uncertainty the uncertainty itself generated from the tweets is uh, impacting market sentiment jp morgan's trying to get a little shine a little bit more light on this particular thing the the, it's called the volfefe index which uh, which measures uh, uh, moves in implied volatility seen in interest rate derivatives. And they're saying that the tweets itself, not necessarily impacting the way markets or stock markets are moving, but it's definitely impacting the way treasury yields are moving. Because whenever you have a, a, a spike in uncertainty, 
there, that tends to lead to a flight to safety, such as U.S. Treasuries. And mm-hmm. this is what they're, this is the relationship they're trying to track at the moment. Um, not necessarily hitting stock markets, because if he does, for instance, tweet that he's going to, let's say he does tweet one day that, you know, I'm going to slash corporate tax again. That's going to be good for, for equity markets. But is that going to be good for bond markets down the road? That's right. that's the question, right? So That just, would be another index anyway. Yes. A lot of, uh, and, <laughs> and more products for JP Morgan to create also. This could be, this could be a new business, uh, you know, a new business unit for them altogether. And we're always <laughs> looking for new business. For as long as he's in office, which is looking rather likely, actually. Oh, dear. <laughs> but let's, okay. let's not and go down that rabbit hole, shall we? <laughs> that is definitely a rabbit hole. Yes. All right. Well, we, we ended the last couple of uh, market views on good news. So let's talk about some good news for at least CSC. Yes. They've bagged some... Um, Decent contracts. Well, it's not just, yeah, CSC and also another engineering firm called uh, construction firm, Tiong Seng, they've both bagged significant contracts. Right. And remember, this is something that, uh, that uh, Jeff Howey has pointed out a number of times and also shown up in the PMI figures and the economic data here in Singapore. One of the few, if not the only bright spot we've seen so far in our economy is the fact that construction continues to grow and sometimes very impressively, sometimes steadily. But so mm-hmm. far, they've always, the juice has always been there whenever you had to squeeze the construction sector. And you're seeing it also with a couple of these engineering and construction firms, CSE today, bagging about foundation contracts worth 70 million Singapore dollars in in total, including among them work on ExxonMobil's expansion of its manufacturing complex in Jurong Island and the Singapore Institute of Technology's new campus at Punggul North and also the North-South Corridor Tunnel. So these contracts are expected to positively contribute to their full year results. Well, Mm -hmm. come on, they're significant sales for the likes of Tiong Seng, right? Um, The other... uh, the other uh, CSC, that is, sorry. Tiong Seng, on the other hand, has also clinched about a $287 million deal to build an industrial building in the, in the Ang Mo Kyo Industrial Park. So right. this will be a seven-story industrial ramp-up multi-user building with ancillary facilities. And uh, they're trying to uh, to cool expectations, saying they're not expecting to have a material impact on their net tangible earnings and assets. But then it is still a significant uh, win order, at least, for the likes of uh, Tiong Seng. But it does also lend uh, credence to the belief that maybe construction really is going to sustain their growth and might be one of those few bright spots we see in the Singaporean economy should things continue to, uh, should a downturn persist in the coming quarter. So something to watch out for. Just look looking at these two corporates that might be examples of a pickup in the construction sector. All right. So the next few hours into the end of trading day on the uh, SDI, do you think that um, we're going to cross a billion or not? If we're still at 325 at the moment, I think we're going to we're going to flirt with a billion. I don't think we will. Uh-huh. I wouldn't mind flirting with a billion myself. Well, everybody wishes they could flirt <laughs> with a billion, but uh, there's only how, geez, how many are there in the world, right? So many billions in the yes, world. Yes, uh, I don't think we. I, I think it's gonna. We're probably it, there's a good chance we're gonna come below that, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think it, we're going to see. App, I, I have a feeling we're going to see an encore of last week in terms of value turnover. But unlike last week when we saw markets uh, lose gr- lose ground or fall into the red mm-hmm. during the days of thin trading. Um, today, at least, uh, at least we're still up by a little bit. So right. you only hope that in days of thin trading, we can at least uh, tag on or just get a few drops out of the fruit, you know. And so far, we're up by four and a half points. This could be tested, though, because whenever volumes or value turnovers is thin, you know, all bets are off, really. It can, it, can, it can swing any which way, especially with gains of only this much. Right. Well, JP is going to be right there for you to bring you the latest on primetime when he comes back at 4 p.m. 
This has been Workday Afternoon's Market View. I'm Clarissa Montero on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.